Welcome to Dietary Dialogue, a podcast dedicated to answering questions about the nutrition sciences major here at UNLV. Our topic today is navigating life in your undergraduate, and our guest is Samantha Coogan. Samantha is a senior lecturer here at UNLV and serves as the program director for the didactic program in nutrition and dietetics. Sam teaches human nutrition, sports nutrition, health and ethnic issues, nutrition assessment, and medical nutrition therapy within the nutrition sciences undergraduate program. Some of you may have seen her in some of those classes, and if you haven't, you will in the future. Sam earned her Bachelor's of Science in Nutrition Sciences and Master's of Science in Exercise Physiology from the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, and she's been a registered dietitian nutritionist since 2014. The questions that Sam will answer in today's podcast were submitted from UNLV students, and if you would like to submit your own questions, please reach out through the Instagram link in the bio or in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining us, Sam. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. We'll kind of jump right into our questions. We had a lot submitted from students, and so I condensed a couple of them to things that overlapped into one kind of general idea. So our first question said, I've heard a lot from my classmates saying that they don't know what they want to do after graduation. Maybe it's because the field of dietetics is so huge. What would be your advice for students that feel lost even though they're currently working on their degree? Okay, so these are all great questions, but especially this one, if you feel that way, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. Hmm. Most of us didn't really figure out what we wanted to do in the dietetics field until we were done with our internship. So, you know, the time that you're in your undergrad, it really is meant for you to kind of explore things that you are interested in and things that maybe you're not, but going into an internship and that supervised practice with a really open mind because that may totally change. You know, Mm -hmm. we we do have a lot of students, for example, who concentrate in sports nutrition and then they graduate, they do their internship and like, oh, I don't want to do sports. I want to be a clinical dietitian. So just be open-minded and just ask other dietitians that you might know. You know, if you can shadow, that's great. But if you have any friends who are in the field or uh, former students from the program that you might be friends with, just ask them because there are so many different things that you can do with this particular credential. Um, Now that is if you want to actually be a dietitian. Of course, if you don't get licensed, you know, there's other things that you could do. And we're kind of exploring that more in the undergraduate program compared Mm. to what we used to do in the past. Um, But my biggest piece of advice is just be open-minded and don't feel like you're behind because you don't know what you want to do. Because many of us, we even change what we want to do 10 years into being a dietitian. And that's totally okay too. That's the beauty of the profession. Nice. What are some of those things that um, you mentioned besides being a dietitian that students can go into? So like if you just graduated with your bachelor's degree in nutrition, you could work for WIC, for example. So Mm -hmm. you can still work with women, infants, and children. The biggest difference here and what I really try to convey to students is that a dietitian practices medical nutrition therapy or MNT. And dietitians are the only ones who are allowed to practice medical nutrition therapy. So if you don't have the RD credential and you're not licensed, you can talk about nu- anything else about nutrition other than MNT. And I know we'll get into that a little yeah. bit later on, but that's really the biggest caveat. So as long as you're not getting specific with a disease state for somebody and creating a meal plan for them, then you're pretty much in the clear. Nice. There's a lot to do, like a lot that people can do to help people outside of just what we think of as like the scope of a dietitian. Yeah. Like nutrition education, like you could give seminars you could become a media dietitian you could be a blog writer I mean you could do all these different things whether you're a dietitian or not nice Dawn who will be on the podcast later I mean look at all that she's doing and she is not an RD but I mean she's getting her PhD and is teaching these classes and fully capable right yeah and she's an NDTR so that's always another pathway that students can go into and that's often what I encourage students to say you're not ready for supervised practice you can't afford to do your internship and master's right away 
sit for your NDTR exam. That's a diet technician, and you can do almost anything a dietitian can do except practice MNT. You could work at a hospital, make that a full-time job, make it a full-time career if you wanted to. Nice. And kind of going off of, because they said in this question, like maybe they feel lost as they're going about do these classes, and maybe I want to do this, maybe I want to do this. I think for a lot of students, myself included, it's everything is interesting. Um, and so you're like, you're kind of like, oh, when I'm learning about this, I really like it. But then I go learn about this other thing. And I also really like that. Right. So to those students, do you have anything in particular that like maybe to help guide them to channel like maybe what do I want to focus on? I would just say try to stay present. So like mm-hmm. whatever you're learning in the fall semester of your junior year, just focus on that. Make notes of what really interested you about that. Mm-hmm. And then you'll see that it will come back into play like when you're in MNT with me, for example, as seniors. So try not to be too future thinking as mm-hmm. much as we try to tell you know prepare for the future and all that stuff it can cause a lot of anxiety when you're yeah. too much in the future so just try to focus on what you're doing and really take note of what you do enjoy and then the things that you don't enjoy unfortunately you do still have to care about like for yeah. the rd exam and things like that um but yeah that's kind of the what's nice about our program is we have so many diverse classes throughout the time that you're here and there are times too where we wish we could teach you more in the class mm-hmm. we just don't have the amount of time you know MNT yeah. we could probably give you four semesters worth of MNT hmm. if we really wanted to um but just don't overwhelm yourself by trying to think that you need to know it all now either there's yeah. lots of time there's lots of study time and you're just going to continue to learn until you retire basically yeah. continuing education yes. hours exist for a reason yes <laughs> awesome let's go on to our second question somebody said I'm interested in everything kind of what we were just talking about in clinical community and maybe even interested in sports nutrition do you think it's possible to jump from one specialty to another? Do you know of other RDs who have done this in their career? Absolutely. I was one of them. Hmm. So my first job out of my master's and my internship, I worked for an MMA weight cutter. So I did that for two years where I was working with kind of the lay client, like the everyday gym goer yeah. and kind of uh, doing nutrition counseling in that sense. And then I was also the UNLV football team's dietitian for uh, two seasons. And that was like one of my favorite jobs hmm. I've ever done. Um, I got to travel with the team and like I really got to be in charge of their recovery nutrition, you know, practice stuff. I got to travel with them. And then when the role of DPD director came up, I was really interested in it and I had started teaching part time. So I kind of pivoted away from sports nutrition into my DPD director role. Yeah, I would still consider sports my specialty area. But it's very easy, I think, in this field to pivot from different things because that's kind of the beauty of the specialty credentials. And just to be clear, they're not required, but they are really nice to kind of have yeah. after your name just to kind of show that you are an expert in that field. So like for myself, for example, I had the CSSD credential, which was the sports credential. It expired in February. I just didn't have time to study for it, to renew it. But that doesn't mean I still don't know what I know yeah. about sports nutrition. So, you know, maybe I want to go study for my renal certification or maybe I want to get into um, two feet and TPN specialties. So mm-hmm. that's what's nice. The, the credentials almost expire every five years, in my opinion, so that you can choose to kind of change what you want to do Hmm. it's almost built in yeah and then for any maybe pre-nutrition majors that don't know when you talk about credentials and specialty what does that look like in the field of dietetics like brief overview so anybody who finishes you finish your dpnd program which is what you're all in right now you get a verification statement you move on you finish your internship and now you finish your master's degree and you sit for the rd exam you're a registered dietitian nutritionist depending on where you choose to practice For example, here in the state of Nevada, we are licensed dietitians, so you must be licensed to practice. You Mm -hmm. could lose it if you don't have that. So that's kind of like your baseline minimum to be a dietitian. So most everyone now will graduate with an MS, RDN, LD. 
okay. now that the master's is required. If you want to specialize, that's where the extra letters would come after your name. So like Dr. Kruskal is a good example because she's <laughs> got like alphabet soup after that. <laughs> she's got CCSD, so she's a certified sports dietitian. I have the fellowship credential just like she does after my name, the F-A-N-D. Um, so anything after the MS, RD, and LD, it just kind of icing on the cake. Gotcha. And it, it can look different to acquiring those credentials, right? I mean, some they have different yes. amounts of time before they expire, what renewing right. them looks like. So specialty credentials, you have to be a dietitian for at least two years for most of them before you can even apply for the credential. Okay. Most of them have an exam, plus you have to accumulate a certain amount of hours. Gotcha. Like, for example, the diabetes specialty, now it's the CDCES, Certified Diabetes care and education specialist <laughs> and that when you need like 2,000 hours working with diabetes specific patients okay so a lot of what a lot of new rds can do is in the clinical job or even a community job they can accumulate all those hours they're getting paid for mm-hmm. their job but they can still count those hours towards mm-hmm. the credential application that's really cool that is really cool all right and then our next question kind of jumps to a different topic. So I'm going to preface this one just a little bit. It's about the new chemistry requirements. And so I know juniors and seniors have heard a little bit about this, hopefully quite a bit about this, <laughs> but it might be something very new for pre-nutrition majors. And so would you be willing to just give us a little overview of, of how the chemistry requirements have changed? Yes. Okay. So there's a few different reasons why the chemistry requirements are changing so when i oh, went and the, we mean the chemistry requirements here at unlv yes Sorry. yes <laughs> um so when i went through this program here at unlv we had to take what we're moving to uh chem 121 122 and 241 which is organic chemistry mm-hmm. in that in between time since i graduated and now our school had come up with what they thought was a more condensed chemistry course which had biochemistry and organic chemistry and introduction to chemistry all in one yeah but we just recently had an accreditation site visit So by our standards, by our accrediting body, the site reviewers did not feel as if Chem 108 really fulfilled the depth and breadth of knowledge that Mm. students really should have to be competent dietitians. Gotcha. And it seems like it will be extra work, but I do promise you it will make you a more competent dietitian. It will help you on the RD exam, certainly, Mm -hmm. because I think if everyone can just remember that nutrition is a science and you have to have a science background and knowledge, that is kind of the easiest way to keep you going and moving forward with it. Yeah. Um, So it will benefit you for metabolism, you know, for all of your upper division courses. And then when you're in an internship and a master's program, certainly. Another reason why we're changing it is because now with so many new MSDI programs Mm -hmm. coming about, they are requiring these higher levels of chemistry. So we're deciding to put them back in and build them back into the curriculum so that students are the most competitive to apply to those types of programs. So for anyone in the current catalogs, even the pre-nutrition majors that we have now, they'll still have the choice to stay in the older catalog if you want to. But if you're in a catalog that requires Math 124 and Chem 108, I am highly encouraging students to take Math 126, Chem 121, 122, and 241 as part of your elective credits Mm -hmm. just to make you as competitive as possible on an MSDI application because there are some programs that are not going to accept Chem 108. Gotcha. Gotcha. And I will say I'm currently in Organic Chemistry 1. And my viewpoint has changed quite a bit being in this class because at first I was like, oh, I had to take 108 and it's not as useful anymore you know and it it felt like this repeat of chemistries as I was going through the first gen chems and now I've gotten to ochem and as I'm sitting with other people who've only gone through ochem we're kind of in a sweet spot of I've learned this before like I've I've already touched on all these ideas I've drawn these diagrams if Mm -hmm. you're familiar with ochem I mean you've got tons of these skeleton models and there was no learning curve because I'd already gone through Mm -hmm. all of that and so I feel like I'm ahead in my organic chemistry class so for anyone kind of like teetering like oh would or okay be too hard you can do it right kind of thing yeah. 
hundred percent. I always say, if I could do it, anybody can do it. <laughs> and at least we're stopping you at, at uh, OCHEM one, mm-hmm. but you can choose to, if you wanted to take OCHEM two and up to biochemistry, that would make you even more competitive. Mm-hmm. It's just, we get to a point where we're, we have to have a minimum amount of credits and there's just only so many things that we yeah. can require of you. So in some instances, students, I think just be open-minded to the fact that you might have to take more than 120 credits to really get everything in that you want to get in to yeah. make you the most competitive. Yeah, and I will say the reason I'm in OCHEM now is because as I look at my future, I want to have a couple of other schools to be possibilities, right? Right. Although I've, I'm hoping for my graduate program at UNLV, I need a couple of other schools. And so I'm going to be doing biochemistry, OCHEM 2 and biochemistry, because that's what the other schools I'm interested in are requiring right. uh, for their MSDI program. Right. And if anyone wants to go for a PhD, they're mm-hmm. really going to like to see biochemistry in your portfolio somewhere, whether it's undergrad or master's level Mm -hmm. so I I definitely encourage students to like although we love UNLV and we want students to stay here there are so Dr. Kreskel touched on this there are so many spots and there's only so many spots right and so making yourself either competitive or making yourself meet the requirements for other schools just opens up possibilities that otherwise would be closed doors exactly so I really also encourage students I'm here to help guide you and we have it kind of set up in this pathway for you but as a student you have to do your own research. Mm-hmm. Just make sure that you're re- researching any program that you want to apply to. And if it requires you taking some extra courses outside of what we are requiring of you here at UNLV, then that's what you have to consider doing. Absolutely. And I think it's of the dietitians I've talked to that have had more of these chemistry classes under their belt. I know one dietitian specifically who the coursework that she had to go through went ex- beyond biochem. And at the time, she was like, oh, this is so difficult. And she works in a very clinical setting and looks back and is like, it was so worth it. It, yep. The confidence that she had going into her job, she said, would not have been there as I first 100%, started. 100%. So. Yeah, even something like food science that you'll get to as a junior in the spring, having a chemistry background for that class <laughs> is huge. It's all food chemistry, basically. That's very cool. No. <laughs> all right, our next question says one of the classes you teach is medical nutrition therapy and we were talking about this a little bit in the beginning for those who haven't taken this class yet what is mnt or medical nutrition therapy and why is it important for the field all right so i might have already mentioned it but mnt is the one specific thing that only dietitians are allowed to do Mm -hmm. so it's within our scope of practice doctors are also allowed to but any other profession cannot practice MNT. If they are practicing medical nutrition therapy, they could be uh, sued by the state, they could be held liable, there could be a whole process to this. So what medical nutrition therapy is, it's prescriptive nutrition plans to treat or prevent chronic diseases and conditions. Mm -hmm. So it kind of goes along with the specialty credentials we were talking about, but you know, if you have a patient with diabetes in the hospital and their blood sugar is, and this was real, this patient I had, 1,559 (laughs) milligrams per deciliter, we come in and we prescribe a an appropriate diet to help regulate that blood sugar. Yeah. And it might also consist of teaching them how to inject insulin, how to use their diabetes medications, when to take their insulin, things like that. Mm-hmm. So I think what's really kind of cool about MNT is that that is what sets us apart as healthcare professionals. So that's what I really want all of my students to walk away with this degree knowing like once you are an RD, you are a healthcare professional. Mm-hmm. You're just as important as the nurses and the doctors and the speech language pathologists, and you all work together. Mm-hmm. And only we can prescribe those types of diets that will truly help, you know, uh, decrease someone's length of stay, for example. You know, if they're coming out of surgery, they, w- they need to see a dietitian. I don't know if Dr. Kresko mentioned this, but she's on the Board of Health for our licensure. Mm-hmm. And they're proposing a new bill that now every patient has to see a dietitian before they're discharged from the hospital. 
Really? So right now, as it is, a doctor has to like order like a consultation or an education from a dietitian, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we see every single patient that comes through. Yeah. So in the field, we are getting more and more, I think, our values being seen yeah. more. So in my class specifically, so I teach MNT2. So you'll, t- you'll take medical nutrition therapy one with Dr. Kressel in the fall of your senior year, and you'll learn what's called the nutrition care process. Okay. So how to document all of it, you know, your assessment, your nutrition diagnosis, intervention, monitoring and evaluation plan. It's called an ADIME. So you'll kind of learn more of the, I guess, administrative side to doing it. Okay. Because um, medical charting is very important. If you didn't write it down, it didn't happen, basically. Yeah. In my class, I'm going to go into very specific disease states, you know, renal, diabetes, uh, wounds is my favorite. Okay. A lecture of all of them. Um, but then we're going to teach you how to treat those specific conditions using using medical nutrition therapy. Mm. And, you know, motivational interviewing is a part of it. So you'll also get that in 431, for example. So it's just kind of blending of this prescription, nutrition prescription, however you want to say it. And yeah. it's only what we are allowed to provide. Gotcha. And then if it's provided under certain codes, it can get reimbursed uh, by dietitians as providers, for mm-hmm. example. Um, and if it's coded correctly, and if you're being seen by a t- dietitian, it can be covered in certain insurance plans for patients as well. Mm, gotcha, gotcha. That all just sounds so like intricate, I think, coming from an undergraduate perspective. Yes. But listening to that, I think so often what we see while we're going through school is very much the media dietitian. We see um, maybe some sports dietitians. We see things like this where this opinion gets woven in. But hearing about that, it's very cool. Just like it's a firm reminder that nutrition is a science. Right. right? And that you have the opportunity and obligation both to care for the patients. And so I think about the current interns that I know Mm -hmm. going through their clinical rotations and how like – that's just a lot to be thrown into doesn't have like the right context or connotation. No, it's true. Yeah. But it, it's a lot to be learning in that setting and, and to have somebody there with you. Mm-hmm. Do you ever find it stressful as you've like, have you, as you've taught students about medical nutrition therapy, like making sure that they know all of that? Yeah. So I always see the stress on their faces <laughs> when they're seniors because it's, it's a lot of work and it's a lot of information coming at you. So one really important thing to note is when you're in your didactic program with us as an undergrad, we're giving you the baseline knowledge. Yeah. So you're not expected to know every intricate detail when you leave here. You need to be able to at least step through the hospital doors, and when they ask you, you know, what's the energy equivalent of a carbohydrate, you know what that is. Mm-hmm. You know, when we'll teach you tube feeding and TPN calculations as well. You need to know how to do those when you step into the hospital. If anything, at least refreshing yourself before you start. Yeah. When you're in the internship is when you're really going to get very good at doing all of that. Mm. You're going to feel like an expert at the end. You'll be kind of lost in the beginning, which is very normal. Yeah. But it becomes so routine day in, day out that you're doing it. It's going to become second nature to you. Yeah. So it's going to sound very scary probably, and it probably feels very overwhelming when you're in school learning about it. But once you actually get to apply it, that's where I've had so many students come back to me after they graduate, and they're like, mm. you were right. Like you kept <laughs> saying in class, like... It's probably not clicking right now, but once you apply it to the real world, you know, even in a, in a mock case study situation, it's r- still hard for students to kind of see exactly what we mean. Yeah. But when you get into that internship, it all makes sense, I promise. And we also have a code of ethics to follow, like kind of like we, we were mentioning before. So we have, you know, similar to doctors, a do no harm yeah. type of, you know, uh, philosophy that we have to follow. So, you know, there's negligence. So that's another thing. Like if you do want to get into this field, you could possibly... Sometimes if a hospital gets sued, a dietitian might get thrown in there. So that's why we have malpractice insurance, yeah. you know, and we're covered by the hospital. So in many instances, it's not the dietitian's fault. They usually get cleared pretty quickly. <laughs> it's usually for like um, 
a wound or a bed sore because the patient wasn't being rotated often enough. Gotcha. You know, so it's the other staff that were responsible, but the dietitian was part of the care team to try and help improve the wound, Yeah. for example. So those are some things that play into it. But MNT also is not just restricted to the clinical setting. Gotcha. So for me, even though I don't work, work in clinical, you know, on a day-to-day basis anymore like I used to, mm-hmm. that knowledge that you learn in your internship will follow you forever, whether in, you're in community. You know, I have uh, one of my best friends is the director of nutrition over at Three Square, which okay. is a community, you know, the food bank. Yeah. She uses MNT all the time when she's creating programs. You know, she's trying to create like a geriatric program right now, or if it's like mm. for the school lunch program, like there's MNT still involved in that. If you work in food service, there's still MNT involved in that mm. because you have to make sure that those patient trays are following protocol. Sports nutrition, 100% MNT. <laughs> you know, especially when we deal with like disordered eating patterns, or if we do have patients or athletes, excuse me, that have type 1 diabetes. Yeah. You know, n- knowing how to work that insulin pump and knowing when they should be fed pre and post exercise and things like that. So, MNT is involved in every aspect of dietetics, hmm. I think, regardless of what setting you're in. Very cool. Very cool. That makes me very excited for the class. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Okay, and our next question is, coming from somebody currently in their internship here at UNLV, they said, are there any tips you would give to interns who are finishing their internship soon? Try to stay as motivated and enthusiastic as you were in the beginning, because Mm -hmm. the preceptors will see that, and especially as you're coming away from the internship and you're looking to start to apply to jobs now, the internship in itself was basically one long interview, Mm -hmm. and you want to make a good impression and keep a good impression with anyone that you networked with during your internship because maybe if there's a job opening they'll call out to you or you can use them as a reference Mm. um you know i've been a reference for many students in the past but when jobs can see that you know preceptors were actually references for them yeah that can be huge for them and if you still don't know what you want to do at the end of your internship that's also okay i say take your time study for your rd exam pass it and then figure out where you want to go from there Hmm. Um, sometimes we've had people who you can do things per diem. You don't have to take on something full time either. So you could do a few part-time gigs. You could do a few per diem gigs. And that just means like you're basically on call. So you might work like eight hours a week or something. So if you want to keep your toes wet and clinical, just to keep your knowledge up, you could do that, you know, until you really kind of discover what you want to do. But my biggest piece of advice, and I'm actually going to be talking about this to my 271 class today is when you first are looking for jobs, advocate for yourself. I was not good about that. Mm. I was disgustingly underpaid <laughs> in my very first job, and I had a master's degree at the time Aww. with my RD credential. Like, I made $26,000. Do not. With a master's. Do not accept $26,000 with a master's degree and an RD credential. Especially post-inflation. <laughs> oh, exactly, yeah. So, you know, don't be afraid to negotiate. They're not going to take the job away just because that was what my, like, thinking was. It's like, yeah. oh, if I try to ask for more, like, they'll, like, go to another candidate. No, like advocate for yourself. And if they don't value you, then that's not the right place for you either. Hmm. And don't be afraid to apply to more than one place and don't get your heart set on one place either. Hmm. And, you know, if you liked clinical, but there's no clinical jobs available, which that's a bad example because there's many clinical there's jobs. There's so many right now. Um, don't be discouraged. Maybe do something temporarily until, you know, your dream job comes up. Hmm. I like that on the minds of a lot of interns that are going to finish their internship sh- soon is just taking the RD exam. Do you have like a little piece of just like one tip for them i know there's so many things that you probably could say yeah one to start it's the worst exam ever okay <laughs> it's just the way that they grade it it never makes sense and it's terrifying for everyone uh-huh. so if you're not afraid going into that exam then you should be <laughs> and you know if you don't pass the first time it's okay it does happen it can be devastating i'm sure but it 
it's okay. It's not, it doesn't speak to who you will be as a practitioner mm -hmm. is my biggest thing. And it also doesn't matter what your score is. If you get mm -hmm. that perfect score, no one cares. No one's ever yeah. going to ask you on a job application. But you're really, the strategy is to study to just pass the test. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, there may be questions that you encountered in your internship or even in an undergrad situation that may not necessarily help you answer that question. Mm. They're going to want you to answer the question the way that they want you to answer the question. Gotcha. Usually all five answers are the correct answer, but which one is the best answer? Mm. So try not to get too caught up and don't spend too much time on a question trying to overthink it mm. before moving on to it. And if, if you like, whether you like math or you don't like math, know how to do any calculation related to what's going to be on this exam because that will save you. Because at mm. least you'll have like a hard number that you know is correct that yeah. can kind of give you some room for the more scenario-based types of questions. That's going to be the one where four numbers are wrong. <laughs> yes, exactly. And make sure that you keep all of your HMD, FAB, and food science knowledge because that's a whole domain of the exam. Mm. You know, that number 10 can and that number 8 scoop is not going away. That They will test you on that on the RD exam. Good to know. Awesome. Our last question here is another one from the same intern. She said, one of my career goals is to get into teaching. How do you suggest I start to pursue this goal? You could see if there's any possible like adjunct or part-time positions available. So part-time and adjunct, they're letters of appointment, so you're not a full-time faculty member, and okay. it, it could be taken away at any time, whether there's a need for the department to have it, but you could look into remote teaching. I know LinkedIn has a lot of right now. I think Penn State had one. It was like a remote part-time lecturer for mm. human nutrition, which would be like an intro to nutri nutrition yeah. class. So look at places like LinkedIn, um, part-time stuff is not often posted okay like you know for csn or like here even it's usually if we have a need to fill um that we might ask for like a part-time instructor okay as far as becoming full-time that again those will be posted so yeah. if you are interested in doing something like that reading that job description very thoroughly and if you're not already a member of the academy of nutrition and dietetics i would suggest becoming one and then also becoming as part of the dpg uh, the dietetic practice group NDEP, it's Nutrition and Dietetics Educators and Preceptors. They post lecturer and professor postings all the time. Mm -hmm. So that's like a really good resource for doing that. Now, if you do want to teach with higher education, there's no like requirement like there is with like secondary education. Like you don't have to have any like teaching hours or yeah. experience teaching. So if you do want to teach, just being getting very comfortable with public speaking. Yeah. Um, getting comfortable with being organized and being very clear and direct in what you are expecting of others. You know, so like even use your internship right now, like even though you're completing a competency or an assignment, treat it like you're creating an assignment for someone else. Hmm. You know, like that, that was my biggest challenge when I first started was in my head, I felt like I was very clear about what I wanted in my assignments. But as the question started to come, I finally found a rhythm like, okay, it's yeah. clear to me, but I'm not making it clear to other people. So I guess articulation and then just public speaking and it doesn't matter if you teach online or in person like that's always going to be I actually got more nervous doing the zoom classes during COVID <laughs> than I do in front of people in person there's something about cameras being off that that is yeah, so eerie that is awful <laughs> yeah and then just seeing off. my face the whole time is just like yeah it's very distracting <laughs> <laughs> nice I had one more question that I thought of while we were sitting here so as I read through the questions that were submitted and condensed some of them and things like that I came up with the title for this episode to be navigating your undergrad and I think part of the reason I thought of that is when I took 271 with you you were always so good about put yourself and your needs first to students yes. and I think everything we've talked about has been um, you know you've got some clerical some advice some you know there's there's been a wide variety of questions and things we talked about but as you think about like students navigating their undergraduate degree do you have just like one piece of advice that 
just to help them feel good about what they're doing or maybe improve what they're doing? Yes. So, and this has always been my kind of like mantra, but especially when the pandemic hit is when it really took a toll. So in our profession and in our undergrad program, a lot of us have imposter syndrome, unfortunately. I think every single person I've met has. Yes. And you are never going to see how great you are compared to like what we see. And Mm -hmm. I was that same student. I didn't think I was making a difference at all. And I had one instructor that just like reached out to me and told me like what a good job I was doing. And I was like, I don't see that. Uh But you just, so when you are complimented, take that compliment. Don't act like it's just by chance or it's a fluke or that you got into this program by a fluke. Like you got here for a reason. And anytime that you're feeling down, any, I always say create like a compliments folder, whether it's Mm. in your email or like text or something. And when you're having a bad day, go read like through three to 10 of them to like remind yourself that like you're not here by chance, Mm. you know, and don't be so hard on yourself. We want you to work hard, certainly, but don't burn yourself out. That's Mm. one of the absolute worst things that you can do. You know, senior year is going to be a lot of work. I'm not going to lie about that. Yeah. But it will be worth it in the end and but you have to be able to balance work life school whatever it might be and take opportunities so that you can you know start to fill your resume and, and be a good applicant but also learn to say no yeah you know in, in a respectful way obviously but don't overfill your schedule thinking that you need to do it all to be it all because we look at strengths everyone has different strengths and that's what we look at you know we're not looking at everyone's gpa or everyone's extracurricular activities like if you have things going on in life or you've overcome some adversity that's something to be kind of proud of yeah so. i love that i this is so random but you made me think of it i saw on your instagram story that you posted like during the first week of school if you're the student nodding <laughs> in class as your teacher's talking that you're loved and appreciated and it was the first time i realized i nod through all of my yes. professor's yes. lectures yes and so I think it, you just made me think of that where I was like, oh, like I make a little bit of a difference in my professor's life. And there can feel like there's like this kind of disconnect where like they know so much and they've got so many of us to take care of. Mm-hmm. But I think I've learned so much through this podcast too and through taking your classes and the other nutrition classes I've had that so many of these professors, yourself included, and everyone else has been on this podcast, care so much about students. Mm-hmm. And they see you, they, they can see where you're at and want to help you. And I just think it's so cool. It's not really a question. It's just. No. And I appreciate that because it's 100% true because, you know, it is hard. Like during COVID, it was hard with the screens. I felt like, you know, because I like to like make jokes and stuff. Yeah. When I don't get really like the feedback, the reaction, (laughs) like it's hard. Um, And that's when I get imposter syndrome. (laughs) Um, But yeah, everything that we do and like, please understand too, like if we are very direct with you or if we're giving you feedback, it's just to make you better. It's not to pick on you. It's not anything personal yeah it's just we know what is going to be expected of you at the next step and we're just preparing you for professionalism now yeah and this is kind of like the safe space to kind of learn and make the mistakes so just take the feedback with grace it's never meant in any way shape or form to be to make you feel bad about yourself it's only to make you better like that's one of my main jobs is to mentor my students if you're hiding the mistakes now then they're just gonna be found out later exactly exactly awesome well i have a couple of announcements to give And students have heard this one before, but I will say it until I'm blue in the face. The first SNDA meeting is going to be at the Nutrition Center. Look up UNLV Food Pantry on Google Maps or Apple Maps. You'll get there. It's 4 p.m. September 13th this Wednesday. It's going to be a little bit of a mixer, so we'll have a little bit of food for students to enjoy as well and just get to know each other. So if you're enjoying the podcast, there are more questions being answered by other students that you can talk to. So come to that. And then our next guest will be Leah Hansen, and she is one of the professors here in the Nutrition Sciences program. We're very excited for that one. 
Anything else you want to add before we sign off? Just my door is always open. So if you don't have class with me during the semester, feel free to reach out to me via email. And if you've got to talk about anything, life, degree progression, some advising, whatever, I'm here for you as program director. Sounds good. All right. Thank you so much, Sam. Thank you.